Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination. I am thrilled. I am beyond excited, very, very excited to have with me as my guest today, Ted Humphrey. Ted is currently the co-executive producer on The Good Wife, the hit television show on CBS. And let me tell you a little bit about Ted's background, which is so impressive. Um, Ted is a graduate of Georgetown University and Virginia School of Law. He practiced law for two years in Washington, D.C. before coming to Los Angeles to work in film and television. Among his film scripts are sci-fi thriller Dust for Warner Brothers and director Jan Bonet. No, Jan Debon. Jan Debon. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Thank you. Jan Debon. Oh, I like that name. And The Rook, a crime thriller for Alcon Entertainment. Top of the World, a drama for Hyde Park Entertainment and Mandeville Pictures horror thriller, viral for MGM, Aztec, an action-adventure epic for Montecito Pictures and DreamWorks, and 215 for HBO Original Films. His script, The Code, was made into a 2008 feature film starring Morgan Freeman and Antonio Banderas. He began his television career with the critically acclaimed CBS drama Now and Again and continued as a writer and producer on shows such as the ABC drama The Nine and CBS dramas Shark and the Unit. He also... You didn't write all these pilots. Did you write Uh, them? How many are there? there? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He has also written numerous television pilots, including the ABC drama Paradise and the FX drama Crooked River and recently developed a British version of Crooked River for BBC in conjunction with Scott Free Entertainment. Wow, wow. Uh, Ted is currently, as I mentioned at the beginning, co-executive producer and writer of the CBS drama The Good Wife, starring Juliana Margulies, and he is also developing a new pilot with Paramount, CBS Paramount. Right. Yeah. (laughs) He lives in Los Angeles with his wife and two children. Welcome, Ted. Glad to be here. Wow. That is, that's a lot. Now, most of that stuff, you realize, never got made. I mean, I I, got paid to write it, but it never got made. Now, I do want to get into that because I certainly know with the feature world, most of that never sees the light of day. But still, to have all those production companies attached and to be paid to write those scripts. I mean, that's an amazing accomplishment. Just means I've been around a while. <laughs> I think it's great. You know, you are very young to have accomplished all this. I'm very impressed. So, um, you know, why don't we start with The Good Wife? And then I want to go back to, like, practicing law and your whole journey into feature work first, yes? Uh, Yes. Okay, yeah, definitely. I want to hear about that. Um, With The Good Wife, which is one of my absolute favorite shows on TV right now, I just, I love it. I honestly am one of the biggest fans. It's so much fun to hear that. It never gets old. It, it, every single episode, I'm mesmerized with, it just evolves and grows, and you're just like, oh my God, it's one of those must-sees for me, which is very rare, you know? That's really great to hear. Yeah, no, no, so proud. So proud of you guys. Um, I'm curious on this show. So, and also with your law background, how does the breaking of story work? It's tough. It's yeah. uh, it's very labor intensive on this show. Um, we're, we're in the writers' room pretty much all day, every day. Um, wow. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a bear. It so really you is. all break story together, and then the individual writer goes off. That's right. The script. That's right. Um, which is, you know, I will say that's the way most of the shows that I've worked on have worked. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, I know. Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah. yeah. And certainly most more... of the ones that have worked the best, I think. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Because when I hear, it's, I think there are only a few shows, probably like Once and Again in the Law and Orders, that more the writer went off on their own and wrote the scripts. 
on some of them. Yeah. 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 But it's, you know, it's tough. The, the legal stuff, it's funny because we're not really – we're sort of kind of a legal procedural, you know. Right. I mean, it, it it started out. I'm sure that the network thought that it was going to be a lot more of a legal procedural, and I mean, in fact, they did some testing um, early on, and the purpose of the testing was to find out did we have the right balance between personal, and personal, professional, and, and professional, yeah. because the balance was a lot more skewed towards the personal and and the you know the B and C stories, basically, yeah, as we would call them then than most of the CBS shows. And I think they were expecting that the answer that would come back is, no, we need more A-story procedural. And the, the answer that came back was, you have the balance exactly right. Don't change it. And uh, That's fascinating. As soon as they got yeah. that answer, they left us alone. And they and they have, you know, so really we are 50-50 A-story, B-story, whereas, I mean, that's that's definitely a lot more than most CBS procedurals do. And I would have to say, it's interesting, because I covered numbers for two and a half years. And numbers was um, the same thing, like in the sense of having to um, speak to the personal as well as the case and really being able to blend the two well together. And Scott Free did both, Scott Free. And, and so I definitely think, you know, you guys have mastered the blending of those two things because they're very difficult components to really blend and blend well. And I think one thing I've, I've noticed that I love about The Good Wife is it actually bleeds the personal into the professional. Yeah, you it's, know? it's tough, and it is, there's no, I don't tend to be super analytical about these things in the first place. Right. But, but even if I were, um, you know, I sort of jokingly say, because we, we talk about this a lot when we meet, we, we've just gone through the process of hiring some new writers for next season. Right. And so I was in all of those meetings, and, and, in, and in all of those meetings, we sort of talk about this. And I always said, you know, it kind of happens by osmosis. It's like yeah. there's no real formula for it. Um, every, you know, first of all, one of the things that makes the show so difficult to break is that every episode is different. Yeah. And we don't um, – I, I worked, by way of comparison, on a show called Shark that was a CBS legal procedural that really was a traditional – I mean, it was more like 80 or 90 percent A story and 10 right. to 20 percent B story – and every episode in the in the vein of a law and order or something like that, every episode began more or less exactly the same way. There was a murder, and then you the team came onto the scene, much the way that a CSI begins or something like that. And uh, with with our stories, we just begin right in the middle of cases. We begin, um, you know, we we try and sort of pick what are weird areas of the law that most legal shows don't get into very much, like. You know, probate. We've we've done a couple of episodes in probate court, or we did an episode that was about jury tampering. Um, we did an episode that w- that took place largely in the jury room, where you right. were trying, you know, and, and and the things like that. And so, when you start every episode in a different place, that kind of makes it doubly hard. And then we just uh, we just try and figure out what's interesting, but it's it's definitely it's difficult. Working. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's great to hear. It really it is. is. No, I'm telling you, from a story analyst point of view, it it's Usually I can figure out so many little things because I've done it for 20 years that could work out better. And and this show is so incredibly well-developed and well-done to where I'm going, that was perfect. Like, I want to remember how to teach writers how to oh. do that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know? A, lot, a lot of that, um, I have to say, is Robert King who – Robert Michelle King created the show. Right. I actually mentioned They're her. amazing. Oh, that's... The, They're amazing. Yeah. I loved their episode on Orthodox as well. I you know, it was, I... Yeah. It's funny. I really like that episode, too, and a lot of yeah. people, including they, don't really... I love <laughs> that episode. It's, it's like, not one of their favorites, one, let's put yeah. it that way. And it was, you know, was, that was one that was a real bear. They they wrote a script, and they ended up, like, totally rewriting it, and, and it was it went through a lot of trouble, and, and like, internally, in on this, just in the... Uh, process of the show it set us back because so much time was spent on that episode that then right. we had to catch up you know which happens on shows during the course of and the year and yet I talk to every time I say to somebody that not before now because the last yeah. five episodes have been so a- excellent but I'll say to people when we'll talk about The Good Wife I'll say oh my favorite episode people will stop me and say unorthodox people and love I, it they do yeah, and, and, peop- and you yeah. know it's and it's funny it goes to how 
the perception on a show sometimes it's I always say it's like um, you work in a sausage factory yeah. so you know how the sausage is made and when you yeah. know how the sausage is made you don't want to eat the sausage yes. you know? and so uh, the yes. perception inside the show is often so different from the perception from outside, outside. Yeah. well and your last two episodes have been outstanding I oh, mean I it, it is it, it that's why I say with the show it like you always think most shows uh, on television will have like three or four standout episodes a year within the season and the, the Good Wife has just started this escalation and stayed with it so I thought I, I give you guys so much credit for that I think it, that's great it, it, it is I mean that's first of all thank you and that's yes. really nice to hear um, yeah. you know it, it really is uh, Robert and Michelle, they're not TV people originally. I mean, they're, oh, they're primarily Robert is a is a feature guy. Okay. They did create a TV show before this. It was called Injustice. It was on ABC. Yeah. But I think it only lasted half a season or something. You know? Right. So this is only really their second TV experience. Wow. And, uh, you know, kudos. Sometimes, yeah. well, you know, it's funny. Sometimes when you work in TV, you kind of learn. David Kelly always used to say this: that you know, you're going to do 22 episodes or whatever, and and Hopefully, ten of them are going to be great, and you know, five of them are going to be mediocre, and five of them are probably going to be lousy, you know, and that's okay. And you move on. And I don't know that Roberts ever internalized that. <laughs> so yeah, he, he really he wants you know he wants every episode to be to great, be and and they're not all great, but he yeah. but he wants every episode to be great, and he works very hard to try and make every episode great, and the rest of us, uh, you know, follow his lead and work very hard. I love that attitude, though. I think that's a beautiful attitude. It is because it is. you know if you strive for that. Um, I look at you guys and I look at Glee, and Glee blows me away too. It's with, a fun show. You know, yeah. such a fun show. And, and Modern I think Family is really work been fun that this must year. go at Modern Family is excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so, what was I going to say? Now, getting into, I definitely want to ask you about you mentioned that you guys just hired some new writers, so congrats to them. Yeah. Um, what goes into that process? What scripts did you read? What did you look for in the writers that you chose? It, we were looking for, and again, this you know this this process was largely driven by Robert and Michelle, and and uh, you know in terms of I mean it, it, it was it was driven kind of by both of us in a sense in in the sense that they they were driving it from the standpoint of what are they looking for in the writing, and I was driving it from the standpoint of what am I looking for in somebody in the room, you know, right. which they, they're looking well, for as good well. Good combination for yes. you guys to look at both of those. And, yeah. and they, 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 you know, we were very much looking for a cinematic quality to the mm -hmm. writing, first of mm -hmm. all. I mean, first of all, as far as people in the room, it's a given, you know, you, you, almost any show would say this, um, you want people who are fun to work with and, and easy to work with and who are energetic and enthusiastic and, you know, brilliant and have great ideas and, you know, all, all the kind of, I mean, we... We've all worked on shows or had experiences on shows where people were difficult, and so you try and avoid those experiences if you can. And, and also, this show—I mean, it is. There are a lot of things about it that are tough, and there's no need to make it tougher in that respect. Right. Um, as far as the writing, definitely a cinematic quality to it. Definitely strong character work. Um, I think, you know, what that translated to for us is really original material worked better. Then, uh, see, that's a great thing. Now, more than ever, it's so important for new writers to write pilots. I think it is. I, yeah. really, I mean, I think that, that, that certainly f just for me, that's what I respond to. Mm -hmm. There are not a lot of television shows that I watch. Right. And so there are not going to be a lot of spec scripts that I'm going to, you know, if somebody is going to give me a Grey's Anatomy script, I just don't really care that much. You right. Know, to be honest, there are some shows that, of course, I like. But right. in general, original material seems to work better. We We did... Shield specs worked really well for us, even though right. it's kind of a hard-edged show, and, and ours is maybe not so hard-edged. It is a very character-driven show. Right. Um, West Wing specs, you know, yeah. even though that's been off the air for a few years, that show had a similar kind of character -y tone. tone. Yeah, there's not a lot of shows on right now that have a similar tone that are big specs. Yeah, that's right. Did you read, like, Dexter's Breaking Bad and um, Mad Men? I know there are a lot of those out there right you now. You know, I didn't read any. Yeah. Um, we, we also had... Because we are uh, a Scott Free show, right? Some they're great. They are. And them. Da and David David Zucker, Zucker is, is phenomenal. Is somebody yeah. I've known for a long time and is yeah. really phenomenal. And then Jordan Sheehan, who works with him, is really phenomenal. Great. And so they, we would really only, you know, they would sift through everything and say, "Here's ten people you should yeah. take a look at" or something. And so right. I don't remember seeing any Dexter's or Mad Men's in that group, but that doesn't mean there weren't any in the. Right. I'm sure there were in the larger group. Right, know? but the original was what you guys tended to focus on. Yes, pretty so much. So I think that's great. And now with the writers that were chosen, 
if you were to go into their specific writing, what would you say was it a deciding factor of a combination of them in the room and them on the page? Yes. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah. yeah. And also what you're looking for, and this is true of any show, um, what you're looking for, every staff has different needs and, and you know, both in terms of, of uh, experience level or, uh, you know, whatever, and also in terms of sometimes a certain person brings a certain talent or a certain kind of thing to the table. You know, ours is a show that is kind of half legal procedural and half character drama, and so you might um, go out and find somebody who's a really strong legal procedural writer because you need that. Yes. And um, maybe, you know, and I, I tend to be of the school that writing is writing and that, and that good writers are good writers and they can do lots of things, and so right. I don't... I don't I tend to try not to pigeonhole people as this guy's a procedural guy and this this person is a you know soft character person because I, I do think that people evolve. are a lot more versatile than yeah. that and, and yeah. can evolve. But you know sometimes when you are putting a staff together, you do kind of it's it can be a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle. You're well balanced. You yeah. probably how are there a lot of attorneys on the staff? You know there are not. Um, really? Well, you're one of the only. ones? We've had a lot of turnover yeah. on the staff this okay. year. I'm trying to think going back. To the beginning of the year, there were just two of us. Right. And then one person left kind of in the middle of the year, and then we brought in another person who was an attorney, but then that person also left like at the end of the year, and so now we are bringing in one other, I think, yes, one other person's in the show. So there, there will, there have always been two, basically. Right. Yeah. There have always been two. And there will continue to be two. Well, yeah. and I have to say, like, I'm fascinated with the whole John Edwards thing and the Jenny Sanford. Yeah. Clearly, that influenced the storytelling and the interest, I would have to assume. Yes. Um, as Michelle King says, it is the gift that keeps on giving. Yes. <laughs> Every time you open the paper, there's just some somebody else is just making an ass of themselves, basically, you know. Um, yeah. It, look, it goes to, it was a really smart pilot idea. It was just, um, you know, Michelle and Robert, um, they didn't sit down to say we're going to write a show about a female lawyer. Right. That was the part that came after right. this. They sat down to say what happens. And I think it happened, I think it came out of, at least as, as Robert and Michelle tell the story, it came out of they were kind of sitting around watching, you know, the whole Dateline Elliot Spitzer thing or whatever, and, yeah, all of this. Elliot and, Spitzer, and Ro- yeah. I th- I, you know, Robert was of the opinion that I think most of us are of and that, that I tend to be of, which is kind of like, what is she doing? Why is she up there with him? Why don't she just leave him? You know, yeah. this guy's a, a schmuck. And yeah. Michelle was kind of more nuanced and said, you know, it's a lot more complicated than that. And it is, and the truth is, it is a lot more complicated yeah. than when you, when you really think about it for three seconds. And people have kids, and they've been together for a long time. Despite how horribly humiliated these women have obviously been, it is, it does tend to be more complicated than that. And that's what we try and explore. And you guys do. You do that so incredibly well because you you look at like the episode Heart that dealt with her finally kissing Will and then mm-hmm. making love with him, it yep. with Peter. It was so well done and so because it made you understand both sides in a very human way. Yeah. Like you didn't dislike her no. for making that choice. You understood it. Which was really, and then it it evolved ever since then, and you guys have done such a great job. It's definitely the yeah. battle we have fought to, you know, how long, how how long do you keep this ball in the air? Yeah. How do you keep? First of all, how do you humanize Peter, who's right. Chris Noth's character? Yeah. And make him likable again yes. after he's done this terrible wrong to her, so that the viewers don't turn on him. And you know, it's weir- weirdly, or I shouldn't say weirdly, but they haven't at all. I mean, right. they. Viewers love him. Yeah. Oh, love. And they, yeah, you know, and, and it's it's funny. It kind of a little bit speaks somewhat geekily to the um, the fact that I I have not been fortunate that fortunate in my career in the past to have been on a lot of shows that get. I tend to have written on a lot of shows where people go, "Is that still on the air?" You know, right? <laughs> like, and this my grandmother loves that show. Or and so now here's the show that's getting all this attention, and there actually is. If you go online, there are. It's like there's Team Peter and Team Will, and right. there are people and they. And it, it always amazes oh, me that people get that. this so excited like about college dorms get yeah, together. Yeah, you know, well, and, yeah. you know, CBS demographics hope that college yeah. dorms get together anyway. But um, I love that. Yeah. I think that's great. So you know, it's been it, it's been the struggle of how do how do we keep this guy likable, but at the right. same time don't make him lose his edge. Right. And Chris Noth definitely likes to play the edgy. The edgy. You know, he does not. I don't think he he warms as much to playing soft, cuddly guy. Right. And, and so. Um, and yet, how do you keep Will as a viable alternative, and how do you keep her in the middle without 
either disliking her for staying with him or disliking her for, you know, going to the other, you yes. know, and, and it's... Which is a dilemma for a lot of people. It is. So, yeah. it, you know, it's a wonderful dilemma to explore in a series because it, it's real, you know. So I, I do applaud you for that, and I love getting the inside scoop <laughs> on The Good Wife. Well, and she, she's, great. you know, look, our secret, our, the cast is our secret weapon, not that they're secret because right. obviously no, they're, they're front and center. Every episode, everyone's perfectly cast. Yeah, it, it is an amazing There's cast. no weak link. They're yeah. so fun to write for. Kalinda's amazing. Uh, amazing. She is. And, and she, you guys are having so much fun writing for her. Well, so. and she, you know, that is that is really the character more than anybody that people, yeah. anybody you talk to just goes, oh, I love Kalinda. Yeah, you know? um, she has a, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. She's coming to the forefront. Yeah, and, yeah. and Juliana is just um, so amazing. She's brilliant. In yeah. how she plays this, because she does more. I mean, I tend to, you know, personal preference, I tend to love actors who can act without speaking. And, right. And she does so much with just a look or. Yeah, she a, does. Her that eyebrows, one, you know. They <laughs> that one look in the bedroom door. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you go. That was so good. Yeah, it really was, that you was know. So and I mean, good. and again, uh, yeah. It's, it was. It's no, so, that's great. So I want to talk to you about your whole transition because going to Georgetown and Virginia School of Law and then practicing law for two years in Washington, D.C., I'm fascinated. Like, how did, what was the trigger there that suddenly you're like, all right, this is not the deal for me, and I think I'm meant to go to L.A. and, and look into TV and film? Yeah. Um you know, I always wanted to do this, and going to Georgetown is not a Hollywood feeder school the way that maybe Harvard is or, or some other schools where you have this kind of pipeline of people who have done it in the past. There there are a number of Georgetown people, and there are more of them now. It feels like there's more of them now than there were when I was there. But there have always been, you know, Mitch Hurwitz, who, who created Arrested Development, and, yeah. and Jim Whitaker. When I moved out here, Jim Whitaker was... Um, like a mid-level executive at Imagine, and he ended up being the president of production at Imagine for a long time. Right. And, you know, there are other people who... Success stories. Yeah, success That's stories nice. out of Georgetown. But it, 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 I have a lot of friends who, who were Harvard Lampoon guys, and they all kind of plugged into this pipeline of TV comedy writing when they came out here, and Georgetown doesn't have anything like that. It's, it's a school where people tend to become doctors and lawyers and go, and go, go work on Capitol Hill and, and that kind of thing. And so graduating from Georgetown, even though I kind of knew I wanted to do this, I didn't know, I, I, I'd literally never been to Los Angeles in my life, and I didn't know anybody here, and I didn't know anybody who worked in the entertainment industry, and it, and it felt like I might as well want to be an astronaut and go to the moon, you know, as, as do this. And so I went to law school for the reason that a lot of people do, because it was easy, and, and it, you know, it just... It prolonged. Yeah, it prolonged, <laughs> exactly. You know, well, and I mean, my, you know, my dad was, my dad was a lawyer, though he didn't, he didn't practice law, he was, he was really like a real estate developer, basically, but... My sister was a lawyer um, and is a lawyer. She's a public defender, actually, um, right. outside of Washington, D.C. So, you know, I went to law school, and UVA was cl- – I, I was, it was either UVA or Stanford, and it came down to, well, UVA is two hours away from where I was living in Washington, so I could drive there. <laughs> it was like, all right, I'll go there. And it, I had a lot of fun there, and, and, but I always kind of knew I wanted to do this, and then I ended up getting a job with a law firm in Washington, D.C., and it was – you know, there are not a lot of really fulfilled lawyers who work at, at big or even medium-sized law firms. I don't think I know any fulfilled. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think I know or some— Or maybe a few entertainment ones we, Some entertainment ones yeah. are. I think I, I knew some fulfilled lawyers who were, for example, U.S. attorneys, which is what I right. really would have enjoyed being. I, I, I worked for one summer at the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., and I really enjoyed that. Oh, that must have been fascinating. It was fascinating, yeah. and I actually—and then I got to work at—, at um, when I was at UVA, one of my professors was John Gleason, who is the U.S. attorney who put John Gotti away. Wow. And he's now a federal judge in Manhattan. And I uh, clerked for him a little bit while I was there and actually gave me a copy of the Gotti wiretap tapes, which oh my is like, it's like, it's hilarious. It's like listening to uh, B-movie actors auditioning for Goodfellas. You know, they, they sound like caricatures of themselves. It's really funny. That so, See, all of that, though, was a great uh, it, that was like building your well for story. Very, I mean, very much. Oh, um, very much. In fact, the you know I wrote this pilot, uh, Crooked River, for FX with with Scott Free, and it was based. We can get into that later if you want. But it was it was based. No, you can tell. It, us about it was that. a story yeah. about a, a uh, morally challenged criminal defense attorney, and it was based on, at least in part, um, Jerry Shargle, who was Gotti's lawyer, not. 
not uh, Bruce Cutler, who's the one, that, kind of the more famous one, the, the bald-headed guy who is big and loud and, and obnoxious and keeps getting thrown out of court. Jerry Shargle was sort of his smarter sidekick, who was really the much better lawyer um, and is, is one of the most famous criminal defense lawyers in New York and really in the country, I think, you know, and, and made a career out of representing mobsters, Gotti, and people like that, and was... You know, Jerry Shargo was a guy who was a really brilliant lawyer. He could have done anything. He came from this kind of quiet middle class. I think his dad owned a paint store or something. And and he just really got off on hanging around mobsters and being around these people. And I found that character very fascinating. What sort of person, you know, Jerry Shargo was very open about the fact that he just thought it was cool to hang out at the Ravenite Social Club with John Gotti. And I, I thought that was a fascinating character. That is a, way, that is a very fascinating character. And I, and I probably wouldn't have found that guy except that I knew John Gleason and, and you know, that, that was because of law school and everything. But so, you know, I ended up being a lawyer in, in D.C. at a kind of a mid-sized firm there doing really boring litigation work, um, a lot of it related to commercial real estate. <laughs> And I, I just was, I was so miserable. I, I used to call my secretary because we actually called them secretaries still, you know. Right. And say, and I would leave a suit jacket in my office, like hanging over my chair. And I would call my secretary and I would tell her, turn on my computer, turn on the light in my office, put a hot cup of coffee at my desk so that it looks like I'm there. And then I would come in, at, I would try to like come in as late as I could. You know, it was, it was crazy. I know. I hear those tricks are done everywhere. <laughs> yeah. They're done in entertainment too, right? Yeah, so. no, I'm sure they are. But but it's it just, it, you know, so I kind of knew after doing that yeah. for a while that I just, this wasn't, um, I just wasn't going to be happy doing this. And I knew what I really wanted to do. And by that time, I did have one friend in Los Angeles who was a guy um, who I'd gone to high school with uh, named Jeff Schaefer, who is a Harvard Lampoon guy and who mm-hmm. ended up being, you know, he, ended, he and his writing partner, Alec Berg, ended up running Seinfeld the last couple of years that was on after after Larry David left. Well, that's a good person to know. Yeah. I mean, even, one person y- Yeah, LA. no, it was. I mean, actually, when I moved out here, he, I think he had just, they had just basically become the showrunners of Seinfeld. They were all of 26, you know, um, really meteoric rise for that's those guys. Amazing. And then since then, they've, They've written a bunch of movies. They wrote The Cat in the Hat and The Grinch, and they wrote and directed this movie called Eurotrip. Um, they just – Jeff was one of the writers on uh, – not Borat, but uh, Bruno. Great. And now they just they just sold another movie with um, Sasha Baron Cohen. But they're also – their EPs on Curb, they have been for most of its run, I think. They wow. Back there, they and Larry are, are good friends. So anyway, I, I came out and, you know, slept on Jeff's couch. And, I mean, I just – I kind of – one day I just decided, all right, like I'm 26 and I'm not married yet and I don't have kids or anything and so I can afford to take this chance and if I wait I won't be able to afford to take this chance anymore and I literally quit my job in I guess you know March and I mean I gave them a month's notice or something like that so had uh, you saved had you been or I had very here? little savings right. I mean I, I you know good I don't you, I don't though. remember That's but good for you for at that I, young an age I might have had three or four months living expenses right. saved you know right. that's about it um but I you know I didn't obviously my needs were few and I I literally packed every belonging that I had into my Honda Civic and um just drove across the country and uh Got out here and slept on Jeff's couch and started meeting people and started writing scripts. And I was um, unemployed for about the next two and a half years, <laughs> more or less. Oh, that's good for people to know, though. I mean, yeah, it's well, not I, like it happens overnight. No, and I mean, also, I think even by Hollywood standards, that's not even that long. No, that's not long at, at all. all. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, I know it, people who, I know we had a writer in here who had uh, gone to Duke and it was 17 years before, and then he, and then it just took off. Yeah, well, or this, so, the guy yeah. who wrote, I mean, there's a million stories like this, but the guy, I know the guy who wrote, uh, I don't know him, but I'm saying just, I've, I've read this story, the, the guy who wrote Precious. And didn't he win the Jerry, Oscar? Gary Fletcher, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I think he famously had, you know, worked at writing for 15 years or something yeah. like that. And, and then finally, you know, he Those wrote the great, script and he wins an Oscar for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because so. it, it tells people don't give up on your dream. And so that's Yeah, that's good. right. I mean, it, when I moved out here, and I, and I would say if I have advice, I mean, and we can get into advice later, but you got to believe in yourself. And you, you, I, I sort Most of— Most important component. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I sort of—I um, think I unconsciously— put myself in a position where I absolutely could not afford to fail. I mean, I, I literally, in the middle of what could otherwise be, or I should say at the, in the beginning stages of what could otherwise be a, you know, potentially 
lucrative legal career. Um, I just blew that up and moved to California and didn't have any money in my pocket really and sort of put myself in a position where, all right, I'm going to succeed at this or it's really going to be a rough life for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and that was uh, maybe that was the corner I needed to back myself into. What know, was your first break? What's Beck script did you write to get your first job? That I always love. You know, I didn't. I didn't actually. Okay, you wrote um, an original. No, my first my first job was actually a feature. But okay. um, but I I will I will tell you I I I came out here and I started writing. I had no at that time I had no interest in writing TV. Now part of that was because I didn't maybe watch a lot of TV and I was more of like the snooty movie guy who you know who wanted to do movies. And, oh, that's right. You did features way before TV. Yeah, well, you I started kinda, I, in features. I, yeah, I kind of did both. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. And then um, part of it was that I and I honestly believe this TV is just a lot better now than it was then. It I, is. I, you know, in the mid yeah. '90s, it was not. There were some good shows, but there was a lot of not so great shows that cable hadn't really evolved, evolved into grown, what it is yeah, and, yeah. and whatnot. And so anyway, I started writing features and, and as they tend to be the first few features that I wrote probably weren't very good, you know, and, and I couldn't get anybody to read them. And, and I was working various odd jobs. I was doing coverage for a couple of different places and doing a, a bunch of different stuff. And then I met through um, totally sketchy connections, uh, this this kind of pseudo director guy that I knew knew a manager who knew uh, uh, another manager uh, you know who I met with who was a very reputable manager actually and, and who said you were a lawyer and I have a lot of success putting people on legal shows um, you should write some TV legal show specs or write some TV specs you know that I'd never done and, I, and so I said all right and I said what shows what shows do I kind of like and and two that that were popular at that time that I liked were the X-Files and Law and Order uh-huh. Law and Order had, I think, just won the Emmy for Best Drama that year, you know, and, and the X-Files was a big hit. So I sat down and I wrote those two specs. And then they didn't really, you know, that first staffing season, I didn't get a job. I mean, I got some meetings, but I didn't get a job. And But I also had a feature spec that, that I was happy with that my new then feature agents, this manager then got me represented at William Morris. Um, right. It was my first agency. And so they took this feature spec out, and then that didn't sell, but it got me some meetings, and it ended up getting me a rewrite on a movie called Dust for Warner Brothers that um, that was kind of a big science, it was based on novels, sort of a big science fiction movie. So that was, and that was what I really wanted to do. So I was thrilled. I was like, okay, great, this is great. I'm a, I'm a big feature writer now, you know. And then it just it just doesn't work that way. If the you know yeah. you're a big feature writer, if the movie gets made, or if you sell, if you write a spec that everybody wants, and they you know, and even this is back in the days when there were those big spec bidding wars that don't even really exist anymore. Um, other than that, you're just kind of out there, you know, clawing away trying to get a job. And so, uh, after I did that, uh, another TV staffing season rolled around, and. I had an opportunity to go on a show called Now and Again that, that Glenn Gordon Karen created. And actually, the, the thing that he read that he wanted to hire me off of was a feature that I'd written. It was this the feature spec that I'd written that I think we went Glenn out. comes from the feature world. Yeah, too. and he so, likes yeah. original material. Yeah. That's right. And so, um, you know, it was funny. That show was in New York. Right. And I had to meet with Glenn in New York. Wow. And, well, I mean, you know, he, he was kind of, I think, willing. I, w- I was told that he was sort of willing to hire me without meeting me, maybe. Um because I was a staff writer and I, you right. know, I wasn't going to cost a lot or whatever. And, and But my agents and managers said, you know, it would be a good idea if you could find a way to get yourself to New York to meet him. And I said, yeah, sure. And, and, and as luck would have it, I had to uh, go to a wedding in Washington, Washington D.C. Um, right around that time. So it was relatively easy for me to right. take the train up from Washington yeah. and, and meet with him, you know. And then I ended up getting the job. And, That's great. And I had to move to New York, which was tough because I had uh, met the woman who shortly became my fiance and then my wife. And so... You know, we'd been dating for like a year, and then all of a sudden I had to move to New York, which was sort of rough. But That must have been rough in the beginning, yeah. 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 It, it, was, um, it was a rough year yeah. uh, working on that show for a number of reasons, including just, you know, that reason that yeah, I had to uproot my life and, and go there. I remember when I got that job offer, I was in Washington at this wedding, and this was back in the days when most people didn't have cell phones yet. Like, I didn't have—this was 1999, I guess, and I didn't have a cell phone yet. And right. So I had, like, an MCI calling card. Remember calling cards? Yes. And I had to go into the phone booth of a, the, like, a fancy, you know how fancy hotels have those nice phone booths where there's a little chair and a table and a uh-huh. writing pad? And I spent, like, four hours on the phone calling my manager, my agent, and my girlfriend and saying, do, do I take this job? What do I do? You know, and, and uh, so my gift from all that was I had, like, an $800 long-distance bill. Oh, <laughs> my, my first. <laughs> 
My first See, week of work's but paycheck these are the was the things yeah, that yeah. happen yeah, exactly. on the way to the dream. Exactly. I mean that so. that's great. All right, with that, we will take a break and we will be back with Ted Humphrey, co EP on The Good Wife. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Ted Humphrey. Um, I'm very interested um, because you have had so much experience in features, even though I know you've had the experience that most feature writers do where you end up rewriting a number of projects and it takes a very long time till you hit one that does get produced. But for you to hit one that does get produced and have Morgan Freeman and Antonio Banderas attached was certainly not a bad thing. Um, I want to hear I want to hear a little bit more about your experience with the code uh and then after that i want to go at what point in your feature writing did you move into tv and and balancing both and what the difference is between being a feature writer who we all know feature writers don't have near the clout that tv writers do i want to hear a little bit about that um yeah let me take them let me actually take them in reverse and talk about making the transition from one to the other because I really did both I think as I think I mentioned in our last segment I really kind of did both at the same time I started out wanting to write features and I and actually the first job that I got was doing a rewrite on a feature and then I got a job on a TV show and that was a really tough experience for me working on that TV show Glenn Karen is a brilliant guy but um, he's not uh, he, he can be you know it was it was a difficult experience to work in and so um as a result, warm and fuzzy. He's not, and not there are many showrunners who yeah. are not warm and fuzzy. Well, and yet. also, I, and but I, brilliant, I, and brilliant, brilliant and, yes. and, I, and I've often said this too. I mean, I think if I had worked on that show and I was more experienced, I probably would have had a very different experience. I would have just kept my head down and done the work and I would have been fine. But because it was my first job, I didn't know what else to compare it to. And, right. you know, on that show, we had no writer's room, there was no guidance of any kind. Even, I think, even Glenn would probably admit this. For him, it was, um, his first show back in television after spending like 10 years just doing features. And so he wasn't even that attuned to the kind of the rhythms of TV. And he didn't really know, you know, all the TV writers that he'd known from his Moonlighting days were either out of the business or doing other things or whatever. So he didn't know any of the writers on the staff. We were all people he'd hired like sight unseen. You know, he just met with us because people had recommended us to him, I guess. So it was an odd... So that was a challenge. It was a challenge. And And it was, you know, it was like... It was a challenge. And, and you learn from your mistakes during those type of experiences. Or you may much. not view them as your mistakes, but you learn different writer rooms, and certainly you've been in enough. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, came out of that and kind of thinking, well, if that's what TV, you know, being on staff on a television show is like, I, I don't know that I want to do that. And then right. later I was fortunate to get back into TV and realize that actually it's a lot of, you know, it's much different than that, and it can be a lot of fun and, and very rewarding. But um, I was fortunate coming out of that experience that then I wrote a TV movie that got made, um, this movie called The Triangle, sort of bad horror movie with Luke Perry and uh, uh, Olivia Diablo for TBS. And then I I, um, was, I sold like a feature pitch and, and I sold a spec feature that I wrote. So I was, I was pretty fortunate and then I, I sold a couple other things. So for two or three years I was able to kind of get by just writing features, but I never, none of them ever got made and I never sold that spec that was the big, you know, million dollar spec sale or whatever that really puts you Star on the, yeah, the A-list, you know, future <laughs> map or, or what is it. Yeah. And so, and, and let's think about the percentage that actually, you I know, mean, it's, I mean, yeah, you're, I mean, it's you're a, doing very well to be working. To even yeah. just, no, I mean, yeah. I, during that period, I was, I was proud to say that I never, I don't think I ever had a day that I was unemployed and that, you know, and that's, that's fantastic. saying something, that's but it was, huge. but it was always just kind of, I was paying the, the rent, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and whatever. So. Then I had an opportunity to get back into TV, um, first by doing some pilots. I, I got a pilot deal at Sony that turned into a pilot I wrote called Suckers that was about con men. Um, and that oh, didn't great. That didn't go. But then yeah. I, I got another pilot deal at, with um, Sony and FX to do this pilot that I talked about called Crooked River that was with Scott Free that was really a great experience. And that was a big 
you know, in terms of like what's the what's the script or the piece of material that's really been huge for my television career, it was that. Yeah. It was that pilot. Um, Great. And, you know, it, and it was because I had something to say. Yeah. About your something, voice came out. Yeah, yeah, that your voice really comes out, and that you know, I think that's a great piece of advice for people to to take is is you know always always be writing and and you know always keep at it. I mean, it really is. I always jokingly say it's it may not be ninety nine percent perspiration and one percent, but it's probably ninety six percent perspiration anyway. You know, it really just keep but at it. But finding your voice is a very your, big. Yes, big find something thing. that you, especially yeah. if you're going to write an original pilot, and especially if you're trying to like break into this business and you're going to you want that calling card find something where you have something to say about something yeah and, I think that's excellent because I really do think yeah. that jumps off the page at people um, and it, you know and that was kind of it was almost an accident as things kind of happened that way it, it was um, Scott Free had a deal with FX to mm-hmm. do this uh, to do a pilot and you know and they were kind of interested in doing a le- FX was kind of interested in doing a legal show which they ended up getting their legal show and damages you know right. but this was pre-damages, immediately pre-damages. Yeah. And David Zucker at, at Scott Free had kind of these ideas about a legal show that would be something probably more along the lines of, of Good Wife in right. terms of uh, social commentary and, you know, getting into some uh, divisive social issues of our time and that sort of thing. And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it, and I was sort of like, I, you know, I, that all sounds really interesting and great, but I don't really know what that is, but... I have this idea about a criminal defense lawyer, and he was like, "All right, great, let's do that," <laughs> you know, and and that became that script, and it and it really um, that was a big script. So that for me. was a pivotal moment. It and was. Did that much. lead into the code? Or where, no, where I did mean, the I, code at, the, at the time, I was writing. You know, again, I was writing features. I was doing both. I've always kind of done both, and so I was just the code was a spec script that I wrote. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it, and I gave it to my agent, and she said, "Let's try and get an actor attached." And I said, "Okay." And she said, what do you think of Morgan Freeman? And I said, well, you know, Morgan Freeman's great. He's an Oscar winner. He's like one of the greatest actors of our time. He was not really right for the part, only in that he was considerably older, I suppose, than the part called for. But I kind of read through the script, and I went, this totally works for me. I mean, this would be great. Now, the thing is, I was, you know, I've sent lots of features to lots of actors, and usually they don't even read them. Right. Um, so I didn't really think that Morgan Freeman was going to say yes. I mean, I kind of, if, if I thought about it, I sort of thought, I'm not sure he's really right. But who cares? Because he's, he's you know, because he's Morgan Freeman. Yeah, he's Morgan Freeman. If we got him, be great. And and he and, yeah. and he probably won't even read it anyway. And so yeah. I was I was amazed that um, you know a week later I guess or something uh, she called or or maybe it was his somebody from his company called and said Morgan Reddy loves it. He wants to do it. And I was I was like thrilled. I was over the moon. And I and I thought this is great. Now I've got that big feature that you know I've got a big movie star attached. And then the thing is, it's a it's a it's a heist movie. So it's a movie about two thieves, and he was going to play, like, the older thief. And no studio wants Morgan Freeman to play. That's not what they want him to do. They want him to play Nelson Mandela or God or the president or something. You know, I mean, he's got this incredible gravitas. They want him to be a good guy. Right. Um, They don't really want him to be a bad guy. Right. Um, I guess he played a bad guy in what Wanted recently, but that was, you know, later. So... um, we had a hard time getting any studio to uh, go for it or any financier to go for it. And, and we, you know, we did end up with um, with a, f- a financing entity that was not the greatest financing entity, maybe. And uh, and then it was about getting a director and a, and a co-star, and we were running up against... Um, and this kind of speaks to the glacial pace of features as well. I mean, and, and this, again, is, is not even... You hear stories of features that that are in development for decades i mean you know but they're in the abyss yeah (laughs) i mean in this case it was i wrote the script in 2003 i guess and you know i I really kind of finished it like around sometime in early 2004 and we gave it to to morgan freeman and he said yes and then it finally got made in 2007 so that's even relatively fast but but it in that three-year period we went to a bunch of different financers and we had we had various directors attached and unattached and i i I did rewrites for various directors. One director like fired me and hired somebody else to do a rewrite, and then all that when well, that yeah, all, all part yeah. of the future world, and then and then inter- like that rewrite wasn't very good, and so when that director then left the project, the producers and I agreed that we would throw that that rewrite out and go back to my script, and then 
ultimately we ended up with uh, the director that it got, and it, we were running up against the writer strike in the fall of I guess that's 2007, and it had to get made at that moment, um, or it was basically it's not going to get made because the writer strike was going to kill everything, and so we ended up with you know the the director that we got, and and she hired uh, Mimi Lederman. It was it was Mimi Leader, yeah. And, Early, and, uh, I'm sorry, Mimi Leader. And she uh, you know. That she brought in another writer to do a rewrite on the script. I ended up getting getting credit on the script, but the script is not as as often happens in features is not you know entirely mine, and, and a lot of the dialogue is is not mine. And anyway, it was a you know the the movie was not it's not necessarily a huge feather in my cap, but it did get made and I did get paid, and that kind of is what the feature world is. That's like what the feature the world is, yeah. and I think every I mean you saw all the hoopla over up in the air and everything that went on with those writers yeah. and. You know, it. I think there's a story like that behind every success. So the feature world is very different. And I, I think, you know, looking at the strides that you've made in the television world and knowing the amount of pilots that you've already worked on, I mean, your day as a showrunner is definitely coming very, very soon. I have no doubt about that. Um, so it is, you know, I mean, you should be very, very proud of that. Look, I Actually, segueing into that, what... Looking at what you've learned from all the TV shows, and we'll go a little more in depth into them in, soon, but um, looking at um, what you've learned from all the showrunners, you've worked with Sean Ryan, Glenn Gordon, Karen. Hank what, Steinberg. Hank, oh, yeah. David Mamet. Great. Mean, you know, on the unit because he was the creator of the show and very, very involved in it. Um, Ian Biederman at Shark. Uh, that's you know, great. Jack Orman at Dr. Vegas. Wow. Yeah. So you've worked with the top, the top people. tier. Yeah, That's no, great. A um, a lot of really good people. And what have you learned, would you say, like going into your own experience of running a show? What what do you feel that you've grasped uh, or learned the most from? If you were to think back to like the very beginning of being a writer to now. Um, when I started out in television – I mean, I you know, I didn't know anything about. I I knew sort of how to write, you know, and the, I mean that's that I I really do believe is kind of a a natural ability that you have. You 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 get better with it over time, and you can work on it. And you can you know, but I, I definitely believe that you know some people can write and some people can't. I guess just like some people can paint and some people can't or whatever. Right. But I didn't know anything about writing for for a budget writing for tv how, you know how do you produce something i didn't you know and i and i had come from you know i was writing features and in features you just write whatever you want you know and, and then i i had actually been paid to write a big science fiction movie which literally was full of you know if that movie ever got made which it never did it would have been some big 100 million dollar budget special effects thing and so i came into tv and i i think you know i remember the first script that i ever wrote for now and again, it had like big set pieces in it, you know, and I just didn't know any better. And and so you kind of learn, you know, you learn the craft of what is an episode of television and how do you write something that can be produced in eight days and on the budget that you have with the actors that you have and u- utilizing the sets that you have. And, you know, it's a very specific skill set. Um, as far as what every showrunner brings to that, you know, they're all so different. And yeah. it, it, I actually keep a, you know, I, I keep a kind of a list of things that I learn from That's each ex- great. from each show Good experience, you. you know, that I have, and usually they're just little procedural things, um, like, you know, the, the, when I worked on Doctor Vegas, that was the first show I ever worked on that had producers meetings, right? Which is kind of a John Wells thing. I mean, there's other people that do it too, you know, and I. Right. And I that seemed like a good idea at the time, so I wrote down like, "Oh, that's a good, you know." That's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I, I, no too self in the future. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing, you yeah. know, or or, or 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 whatever it is. So they're all very different. I think. Um, Who's influenced your career the most? Would you say, as far as you know, it's hard to answer because yeah. I, I have not been. Fortunate is not even the right word. I've been very fortunate in lots of ways, but I have not been fortunate in that there hasn't been that one. Mentor that took you under. person that took yeah. me under their wing. Um, I hear this from a lot of writers. Yeah. And some people have that, you know, yeah. and, I, and I have never been fortunate enough to have that. And so I have kind of bounced around with different people and learned different things, and, learned and different probably things. become more independent as a result. So yeah, I mean, you I, know, you, you, you gain. I think the biggest thing I've learned from working for all these people is, and actually, this is something that TV taught me versus features. 
is confidence in the, I always had confidence in the writing, the story breaking part is the hard part. And it's confidence in the story breaking process. It's confidence in knowing that we're gonna get this done. Like it's, it's right now it looks like a jumble of crap on the board and we don't know what this is and oh my God, you know, it's, it's preps in eight days or whatever, but we're gonna figure out what the story is because we know what we're doing and there's smart people in this room and, and there's a smart person who's the showrunner who knows what this show is supposed to be and, uh, you know, that, when you, when you write features, it's just all you. And you're in the, you're there in the room by yourself trying to figure out what is this script. And, I mean, I, how many times have I torn my hair out, like, yeah. going, like, I don't know what I'm writing here. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and hopefully in television you avoid that process as much as possible by having a good group, a, a good collaboration with a good group of people. People to bounce it. off of. People so to bounce off of. Even if people don't take you fully under their wing, which – it is an interesting thing. I mean, I, I was blessed in that sense with Aaron Spelling for 12 years, but I, I have talked to so many writers who say exactly what you said, who say, I wish that I had someone that had fully, yet they managed to make it very to the yeah. top. And so you sit there and you go, okay, well, clearly you're learning something that's guiding you in the right direction, and that's a gift. Well, you, you know, know? The, the funny thing about a mentorship, if you actually have one, is that at some point you have to break it. Yes. And I, that oh, can yes. be very difficult for people. And it, it, it can, is difficult. And I it can, can tell lead you to ruffled feathers. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I've never really been in that situation yes. either. You know, it's yeah. always so you take what you can. I mean, Sean Ryan, for example, is, um, first of all, he's a wonderful guy and, and amazing showrunner and, and very um, empowering. And I think what I learned from him which is kind of the way philosophically I, I approached it all along, is, is he really likes to empower people. You know, he wants everybody on the staff to be a showrunner, even if even if only for that episode, you know, but hopefully for their I own. Like you know, he, he does yeah. not, he, he is not, he's very confident in himself and not in, a, in, in, in any kind of like arrogant way, just in a, in a really solid way of like, he knows he's good, he knows what he's doing, and he knows that he can give up, you know, let's let, people run with their stuff, you know. So the, working on the unit was very much a show where, you know, he didn't rewrite a lot. David Mamet really didn't rewrite that much. Now, granted, it was the fourth season of the show. Maybe he did more. I only was there for that one season. But, um, you know, you, people produced their own episodes, and um, Sean was fairly hands-off in that, but hands-on when he needed to be. He's really, really good at uh, post. I right. mean, he's really good at a lot of things, but one thing he's really good at is, is, is post. And he would often assemble the episodes you know the, the the order of scenes yeah spelling was a pro at that in an so episode yeah, would be very different from what watch. it was in the script you it know is. And, and act outs would be yeah. different and i mean that other people do that too but sean really made an art out of it yeah. and it was fun i, I learned a lot watching him watch do that, that. and yeah. participating in that process yeah. you know and, and 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 uh um you know he was also good at sean's a guy who doesn't really focus on the uh the the he sort of focuses on it when it's on the page, and so he'd write a script and he'd come in and he'd be like, "All right, this is what this needs to be," and he but he would know exactly what it needed to be, yeah. you know, which is a great skill. And he would say, "Okay, this scene should go here, and we need to, you know." And he was a maestro. But that's that. a master that I think even if someone that you watch that you learn to mimic and you learn, I think even from people who don't necessarily, and I would say the majority out there are not strong mentors. And what I hope with you is that 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 you do understand the value of mentoring those below you because there is a tremendous value yeah. in investing in people and believing in people because it's a very hard town. Mm -hmm. Like you spoke of confidence, which was a beautiful thing to speak of, but it's very difficult to gain confidence when you don't have people who are fully supporting you yep. in a sense that your growth confidence-wise, you know? And Sh Sean is really supportive, and, and, you know, Sean has – he is that guy – whether he's maybe specifically mentored these people or not, he is that guy who has people a whole... People learn from. People learn yeah. from, and he has a whole bunch of, of writers who have come up under him who all revere him. And yes. You, I mean, I was in the uh, Fox commissary with him once, and there were these writers from The Shield, and they came over and gave him a hug. I mean, it was just this... Yeah. You know, there, there are a whole bunch of people who yeah. look to Sean as kind of their godfather, in a way, yeah. you know, which is a really nice Oh, thing, that's so. nice. Yeah. Um, I'm interested, like, looking at all of the TV shows. So now and again... Dr. Vegas, The Nine, Shark, The Unit, uh, and then several pilots that you worked on. Um, what overall, when you look at the television experience, and 
like um, working on a current show versus writing a pilot. I, I, will, I would love for you to cover some advice in both arenas uh, as far as the brand new writer who just gets the job and is going to be on staff for the first day as well as the writer who is writing their first pilot. Right. Well, I mean, if you're, I mean, if, it depends, I guess, if you're doing a, a spec pilot as a writing sample versus a pilot that you've actually sold or, or are trying to sell. If you're doing a spec pilot, as I think I said before, find, you know, find something that you really have something to say about and really try and knock people's socks off with it. Um, if you're doing a pilot that you're actually selling, then that's a kind of a different animal because, you know, inevitably there will be compromises. And, you know, the first thing you've got to do is find something that they, meaning the studio or the network, want. Um, so you, it's really a process of marrying what are you interested in with what are they interested in? I mean, r for example, right now I am c coming up with ideas for, I have a pilot deal with um, CBS Paramount this year, and I'm one thing I'm contemplating is somebody's brought me a book that takes place in the medical arena. Now, I'm not usually somebody who is much on medical shows. I've, I've only ever worked on one that wasn't even really a, a real medical show, Dr. Vegas. Um, it was just a, a farce, you know, but... Uh, I mean, I mean that in the worst possible. Right, right, <laughs> you know, right. I get not it. a farce like it was funny, you know. Yeah. But, uh, although it was certainly trying to be, but um, <laughs> so you know, I don't, I don't know. Normally, my reaction to medical shows is to kind of go, ah, that's not really what I do, you know. Right. And, and and then, but I sort of read the book and I started thinking about it. And I realized, you know, I really actually this is interesting, and I really have something to say about this. And I know that, look, there's always a demand for, especially at CBS, there's always a demand for medical shows because they've yeah. been looking to find one for a long yeah. time now. So. There's a process of finding something that might not at first blush be the thing that would necessarily jump right out at me, but finding a way to kind of make it mine. And, I like that. And then bring them what they want. So it's, um, you know, pilots, I, look, I wish I had great, if I had great advice about pilot writing, I'd, I'd be running my own show by now, I'm sure. But, uh, you know. And you it, will be. It's, you um, will be. it's. The, I think the, the best advice is you, you, you just can't control it. You know, yeah. the, the, the difference, obviously, between writing on staff and, and writing a pilot is when you're writing on staff, you're, you're writing on something that's up and running, and you, you know you're going to, when you write something, you're going to make it, and then you're going to move on to the next thing, and, and it's a whole other set of challenges. When you're writing a pilot, you're just trying to write the best thing you can. you got to try and write it. You know, you, you run into that same problem I talked about a little bit with features to TV, because writing a pilot is a little bit like writing a feature. You kind of let your, you don't have, when you write on a TV show, you know, okay, we've got these standing sets, and, I've got, and here are my actors, you know. And I know what they can do, and I know what the sets are, and I know what our kind of budget is, and what we can afford to shoot and not shoot, and everything. And and this is you know, and when you write a pilot, you don't know any of that stuff, so you can sort of make it as big as you want to. But you they do have, have that stuff. You have yeah. to think in terms of is this going to be able? Are they going to be able to produce this? To are there actors? You know, who would want to play this? Yeah, yeah. And, and who are out there? I mean, yeah. you know, it's really hard to find. You know, everybody sits down and writes that like forty-year-old great looking guy those are so hard to find they're right. just they're, they're nowhere near network television right now right um, uh you oh, know there are there are no george clooney's yeah. out there i mean yeah. there are but you have to go to like denmark to find them yeah you know, it's crazy um the casting is so literally every pilot that you talk to you hear about people going to england you know so on their own dime part of it yeah, yeah okay so so think about that if you're going to write the part for somebody who's of a very specific ethnicity, for example, you know, not that that's great, and we need diversity on television, but just know that you are, unless you have a specific actor in mind, yeah. you're narrowing the pool a little bit, yeah. you know, just be open-minded about it. I mean, you, you might write the part yeah. for a specific ethnicity, but it might not end up being that because you can't cast it, you know, the, the, and, and ultimately you just, you can't control it. Right. Um, there are every year, you read the pilots, and then you see the ones that get made, and you see the ones that get on the air, and it, it's it's not the best ones always. Sometimes it is, but I totally agree with you. You know, there it are just a, a lot of thing. a lot of compo political components. A lot of political components. Goes. A lot of like yeah. who who gets attached to star in it. A lot of what is the network looking for. So you can write the greatest, you know, honestly, the greatest script in the world, and it still might not get made, or if it gets made, it still might not get in the air, and it's yeah. just, you can't control that. Well, and like when we look at last season, I mean, the shows that are the real standouts of all the pilots that were picked up last year. Good Wife, Glee, and Modern Family. I mean, really, and that's that's not a lot. No, it's not. Know, and, and I mean, and I think those are. I don't know about Glee and, and Modern Family, but I think you know. I don't know that Good Wife. You know, I think Good Wife really got some heat on it when 
Charles McDougall agreed to direct it and Julianne Margulies agreed to star. You know, there's all those components. I mean, yes, you know, until then it. it was fighting with a lot yes. of other things that. Well, and you don't know till the show's on. I mean, I yeah. remember, I, rem- I always love the time of year when I ask agents, what do you think are the best pilots? Yeah. What do you think are going to make it? And mm-hmm. I do remember that Modern Family was definitely on the top of a lot of people's yep. list last year. There were probably two or three others that were on the top that didn't hit what, yep. you know. And so it's you like, you, you, we don't know. When I mean, I, you do, yeah. yeah when I was, um, when I, got a, I got a job offer to work on Dr. Vegas. Mm-hmm. This is in 2004. It was my first staffing job back in television after Now and Again. And I was, um, and I had like a new baby at home and really needed the job. And yet I knew that it wasn't going to be, I mean, like you just knew the show was not going to last. It, I think we shot, I think we shot 10 episodes of that show and maybe six of them aired if that, you know, and, and it, I mean, you knew that, I don't think I've ever had an experience like that where on the first day of work, we all looked at each other and we were just like, what is this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> the identity of the show was confusing. For, I mean, from, yeah. from yeah, I mean, for everyone, just for yeah. everyone, for even, you know, and Jack Orman, who ran that show, did not create it. He did not write the pilot. He, right. he came in as a showrunner. And so even he, you know, we were all in the same boat together. And right. great, great bunch of people on that show. And it was a fun experience. But, um, you know, in but any, it was confusing, which I think is yeah. very normal in the pilot process. I yeah. mean, those first three to five episodes nowadays are crucial because yep. if you don't find the identity and and put it together with the network, the studio, and the showrunner, then the show is going to have a very small chance of making it. Yeah, so. and so so when I, I had that offer and, I, you know, I needed the job like financially, but at the same time I was kind of like, oh, God, can I get an offer on like some other show that might have – a better chance or whatever, and um, and I had a uh, I actually a friend of mine who was a, a an executive at the studio that produced Doctor Vegas had sort of helped me you know I think given my script to Jack Orman which is why he met with me in the first place and and I remember calling my agent saying what about I don't know what about this show House which I think was then called Doctor House or something or House MD and I don't, it had a slightly different title than it has now and I remember my agent saying look I don't know maybe I could get you a meeting over there but are you really gonna you know, uh, I mean, here a friend of yours has sort of gone out of her way to try and help you get this thing. Are you really going to, like, throw that back in her face in order to get a job on a house? <laughs> you know, which Isn't the, that funny? the clear implication being like, now. that's not going to go anywhere. I you know. know. So it was, because you don't know. Don't, you yeah. don't know. And the bottom line is all that any of you guys can do as writers is do the best that you can and deliver the best material and hope that it sticks yeah. and hope that they come. You know, I definitely think that's a science. I mean, when I look at NCIS and how incredibly well it does in middle America, you know, and and yet here it's not as sexy a show as it is in middle America. Fascinating. I mean, so you you sit there and you go, everybody has something that they gravitate toward and they like, you know. Yeah, I learned that lesson on the unit. Uh, Well, I mean, I learned that lesson lots of times, but. Um, you know, the unit is a show that does or did, it's not on anymore, very well in middle America and certainly did. You know, it was not a show that people in Hollywood paid much attention to, even though it, it came from David Mamet and Sean Ryan, who were both Hollywood icons, you know. Right. Um, and, you, you, you know, honestly, even I didn't pay that much attention to it until I went to work on it. And I went to work on it and I realized it's a great, I mean, the unit was a great, great show. show. The it unit was incredibly was a great well show. written. I it was agree. very complicated. It was yeah. very dark. Yeah. Um, it was one of the most challenging shows for me in a good way to yeah. work on in terms of just it really challenged you to do really good work and and then rewarded you with giving you ownership of that work and, and letting you see it through. And, you know, I was always amazed at, at what we got away with on CBS in yeah. terms of the darkness of the show and, and what we our heroes were allowed to do because of yeah. the circumstances they were in. The flawed um, hero. And yet, yeah. you know, and, and yet it was literally like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it or whatever, you know. Because yeah. in, in Hollywood, it was not a show that everybody paid any attention to, so. Yeah. See, but I like the the idea that, you know, when you're writing on shows, it's not like there's any perfect recipe, ingredient that, you know, okay, this is going to be it. This is going to make it. We're going to watch this soar. It's like you do your best and you get to know the show the best that you can, the earliest in the process that you can, and it really is the marrying together of the visions that makes the difference. Yeah, and you know, it's alchemy. I mean, there's a lot of luck to yes. it. And not in yeah. not to take anything away from anybody's talent because yeah. anybody who is really successful in this business has a lot of talent behind that, you yeah. know, almost always. But but there's, you know, there's a lot of talented people who aren't getting their pilots made. It's just there's a lot of luck to it, and it, it, it uh, 
you know, for shows, shows catch on because the cast really catches fire. And yeah. yeah, I remember Grey's Anatomy. It was, yeah. it was not, it was like nobody knew what that was going to be, and then all of a sudden it turned it's into this huge. Th- it shows just turn yeah. into these things yeah. sometimes, and you I don't agree. necessarily expect it. And then other ones that the networks absolutely think it. are going to be yeah. huge just die. You yeah, know, so, yeah, I agree. And there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason. Well, I wish you all the best with CBS Paramount and the medical show Thank and. You. If How that's, incredible! If that's what it ends up being. Yeah, <laughs> if that's what it ends up being. I mean, any any to see you get a pilot going would be an amazing thing. And until then, you have an incredible job. So this is yes. this is all good. This is great. I'm I'm so I'm so um, impressed with the fact that you've gone from law to the feature world to the TV world, intermixing the two worlds, and really grasping story and continuing to evolve as a writer and I love what you do and I'm excited to see where you go and I want to thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time out of your day and thank your wife and your two children for sharing you and we are out this is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy Inc we are out with Ted Humphrey co-EP on The Good Wife on CBS Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 